Coming up this week on the Course of Life podcast, our front nine begins with the Wasted Management Phoenix Open. Lots of debauchery to recap there from Phoenix and Scottsdale. And the NFL script was completed in Vegas. And we had a friend on the field and behind the scenes with Taylor and Travis. We get into all that. Plus, Tiger Woods back in action at Riviera. Always a fun sight to see for golf fans out there. And this week's guest, it's a two for two awesome guests coming your way. First, we got Martin Chuck, one of the best golf teachers and golf product inventors out there. He's showcasing some great swing tips and new products he's created. Plus, LPGA Tour winner Maya Stark also joining the program. That's right. Two great guests coming your way on this loaded episode. And when we always end with food, it's Valentine's Day candy and a classic remake from my co-host as well. All of it brought to you by our friends at Desert Fox Golf, Desert Fox Golf, King of the Phone Caddy, King of the Phoenix Valley. Saw them out there at the Wasted Management all last week, repping the brand. We love seeing them at the PGA Show, and they're expanding their product line every day, every week, every year. It's the DJ10, the new speaker that needs to go on your golf cart. It's the most convenient, easy to use, portable, playable speaker with all the great features you knew you needed in a speaker, but you haven't found yet. So check out Desert Fox Golf for their amazing array of products. Again, Desert Fox Golf and support a great golf brand that's been a great sponsor of our show from the get-go. Again, check them out at desertfoxgolf.com. interwebs and welcome to course of life we are proud to be presented by our friends of desert fox golf and the live take app i'm michael he's alex and alex like you said it was the wasted management phoenix open the biggest rowdiest party of the year on the pga tour went oh, yeah above and beyond i think we can say they dialed it up to 11 uh before we talk about the the feel of the tournament for the fans let's talk about how nick taylor played spoiler again um we're coming coming out there and and just putting in some birdies late and able to overtake charlie hoffman in the playoff the second playoff hole um so nick taylor now um, many many wins on tour this is what his fourth win on the pga tour yeah he's got a few of them now starting to rack up the w's and and it was a big spoiler vibe because he was dueling against, you mentioned it, Charlie Hoffman, kind of a yeah. name that we haven't thrown around in a long no. <laughs> time, 47 years young. But the main thing everyone knows about Charlie Hoffman, Mike, is he's sponsored by Waste Management. The guy's been rocking yeah. the WM logo for years out on tour. This is basically his hometown event for all intents and purposes. So this was a big moment for Charlie. I mean, that would have been kind of like a life-changing, like career-capping win for Hoffman at age 47. He had a three-shot lead late. Uh, but Taylor caught him when he needed to and made clutch birdie putts, like you mentioned. Uh, one more to get it done in the extra session. And, and that tournament, it, they faced a lot of weather adversity, which they don't normally. So it was pushed to pretty late on Sunday. They usually try and squeak that finish in before Super Bowl kickoff, but it yeah. went well into the second quarter of the game. So a late one in Scottsdale. But yeah, Nick Taylor prevailed. 
you know, I was really wondering if uh, if they were even going to be able to finish this tournament the way the weather was going all weekend. They didn't finish any round really in its entirety until Sunday when they were able to squeeze that final round in. And I, I do want to ask the question, could Charlie Hoffman had won if he still had his long hair? Right. People are wondering, maybe it's the aerodynamics that kind of threw his swing off late there on Sunday yeah. because of the lack of hair. That totally makes sense. He he was always known for having great like surfer dude flow. Like he had mm-hmm. big, big time sunshine and rem- rem- remember the Titans type of flow for a long time. But now he's all business in his 40s. And, and yeah, that that could have been a factor that that led to his downfall late on Sunday. That's very viable. Uh, let's talk about the vibe at the Waste Management Phoenix Open, or as, as you said, the Wasted Management Phoenix Open. They had to yeah. close the gates for a while on Saturday because it was too crowded and it was just too rowdy. We saw Ryder Cup captain Zach Johnson yelling at fans because they were berating him over the Ryder Cup <laughs> performance. <laughs> yep. I, I mean, uh, we had fights breaking out. Uh, is is the Waste Management Phoenix Open going too far? Do we need to find a way to rein in this party atmosphere? Oh, it's such a tough question because you and I are so tied to this event. I've been to the event before and we love what it represents because it brings a whole wide swath of, of maybe non-golfing audience to the game. It's a great party. There's no doubt about that. It is a fun, fun time and a great way to experience golf. This year, though, for some reason, I'm trying not to be the fun police when I say this. So there were just a couple of anecdotal, you know, videos and clips from the crazy wasted gallery that were maybe just a little bit too far for for public sporting event material. I'm I'm talking about you know the the rolling down the hill in the mud. I can deal with the the loud crowds at 16. To be expected. You walk into that coliseum and you know that's coming, but. Just things like the yelling in the middle of a swing when a guy's on the fourth hole at Sawgrass, the fist fights that went viral on video in the crowd between two drunken fans, guys just openly peeing through their jeans and pissing their pants in the hospitality tents at the end of the day, Mike. It's like it's one thing to create the party atmosphere, but when you have fans that just have absolutely like no break at all. And it's all gas pedal. There, there was, there was just a certain line that got crossed by, again, this is a small 1% section of the crowd. Um, but it, the rowdiness kind of maybe jumped the shark a little bit. This is the first year I caught myself saying, maybe it's getting a little too out of hand. So, you know what, what it all gives me vibes back to, and this is an inside joke for the two of us okay. is uh freshman year in college, third floor data, which was the partiest. Mm. We were on the most biggest partiest floor on campus yes. when mm-hmm. we went to school. And it was the microcosm. Of course, it was the oddity maybe on campus, but it went too far. So is the waste management Phoenix open turning into our third floor data and That's going a great too far. analogy. <laughs> and, and it's one of those situations where, yes, you know, on the third floor, Dana, we had our respectable Friday, Saturday night parties where we closed I think the door and door. I think respectable is the wrong word to use, but no, no, okay. There, there were respectable <laughs> Friday and Saturday night dorm parties that stayed within the confines of one dorm. People played music at an okay volume. They had their night. You retreat back to your respective location. Then at one point, there were also parties that would spill out into the hallway until 4 a.m. There would be graffiti all over the hallways. There'd mm-hmm. be questionable substances in the hallway the next morning. And then that's the moment where we start to think, eh, 
maybe me, we, we might want to dial it da- back a little bit. I, I think we're <laughs> approaching that level at the WMPO. Um, like you said, they literally had to close the date gate because the capacity um, was just at a, at a, a, a top notch and the, the alcohol consumption was just a, a significant mass that was too dangerous to handle. Um, so just maybe something to consider for the Thunderbirds for future events. I would say, you know, it's not about kind of reining back the party. It's about directing it into the right spots, I'd say. You, you got to have your designated party zones where people can go wild. They can be at any volume. And you have to understand that there's just a tad bit of decorum maybe on other parts of the golf course. I, I, I think, yeah. you know, I liken it to the, like the Kentucky Derby or Indianapolis 500. People get crazy wasted there and they have no clue what's going on around them of the sporting event. But that's because they don't have a direct effect on the event and there's no assumption of silence at all where there is a little bit of that in golf. So that yeah. the, that's the analogy I'm going to give and we'll see if that takes shape in future renditions of this tournament. We will indeed. One person though who I think can celebrate and dial it up to 11 is Cristobal del Solar who yes. shot the record lowest round ever on a PGA Tour sanctioned event. This was on the Corn Ferry Tour uh, at the um, so, Ast- Columbia, Ast- I think Astara they yeah. Golf Championship presented by MasterCard in Bogota, Colombia. And he shot a 57. That's absurd. After going 28 under 27 in his front nine. Yeah. Uh, two putt. For 57 on the last hole. Think about that one. (laughs) Two putt for 57, a record-breaking round. Again, that's 13 under par on the par 70 track. He absolutely lit it up. Don't worry, Mike. I've already hit him up. You know I'm aficionado. I love talking (laughs) to these golfers that shoot sub-60 rounds. So, uh, Cristobal, if you're listening... Uh, check your DMs. I'm sending you a message and, and we're going to have you on the show because I want to hear all about the masterful round. It's one of those things where Corn Ferry Tour doesn't have a million highlights of it because it was an early round, first round uh, scorey shot. But history, 57, always worth applauding and mentioning on the show. Yes, indeed. He uh, did not go on to win, though. <laughs> That's how crazy competitive <laughs> the Corn Ferry Tour is. Oh, you shot 57 in your first round. How many yeah. shots did you win the tournament by? Well, I actually shot some more rounds in the 60s and still lost. That's yeah. how competitive yeah, yeah. he's out there. He he. Well, he also shot 75 on, on his third round, so that didn't yeah. help him at all. Um, so he finished in solo fifth. Still a very good finish on the Corn Ferry Tour. 57. That's nuts. Wow. The Live Golf Circuit was in Las Vegas, as were a lot of people this weekend for their tournament. And Dustin Johnson, who seems to just win everything, I feel like it's always Dustin Johnson and his four aces, took the W. Not surprised at all. uh, Yeah, no no surprises there at all. Um, You know, it seems like Live Golf is in the right places at the right time over these last couple weeks. I do give them a little bit of credit for scheduling. They figured out that they do need to just go to where the people are if they can't get the people to their venues in the U.S. Yeah. So, so I, I appreciate the, the actual brain power there. Uh, they tried to capitalize on the weekend uh, with the Super Bowl crowd there. LVCC, literally right behind the, the Westgate where I stayed last year and probably will be back in April. Um, so it was interesting to see DJ and the, and the crew there, uh, Super Bowl week. A lot, a lot of chaos going on throughout the entire Super Bowl week. I'm officially over-inundated for Vegas 
content. Uh, I'll be there in April, but I'm good on Vegas content. I got the like hit over the head amount of Vegas content in this past week with everyone <laughs> there for the Super Bowl. There was for the Super Bowl uh, and and a lot of Taylor Swift content as well. Mm, uh, Taylor Swift and also the Sphere too. I yes. I got to get to this freaking Sphere, Mike. Everyone in the world has seen you two at the Sphere. Yeah, there was they, a lot of it on the CBS broadcast as well, really. Yeah, so I checked that postcards from something something show that they run kind of regularly at the Sphere. Hundred nineteen bucks a ticket. It's mm. like a, I think it's like a forty-five minute or an hour long show or something like that. Eh, not crazy for Vegas pricing. I, I think I got to go check it out. I know I'm not going to see you two there or any show anytime soon because that demand will be through the roof. But that's all my agenda for April. So I, I kept seeing this freaking sphere all week long. It was very cool how they worked it in the broadcast as well too. So very cool stuff uh, from the uh, from the Vegas uh, technology front and the new buildings got there. Yeah, like you said, we saw it a lot during the CBS broadcast. Uh, they really tied it in well all Super Bowl week. Really made you feel like the Super Bowl took over Las Vegas, which is what we know the NFL likes to do when they go into cities. That's why they'll never go back to New York ever again. <laughs> right. uh, yeah, seriously. And that, that conversation, you're right, is like, can we just keep the Super Bowl to like three or four main cities? Like, honestly, what, what's your list? My list is like New Orleans, Vegas, maybe Miami, yeah. maybe Phoenix. Is that it for you? I don't really need it anywhere else. Do you? Uh, I mean, they could put it in Atlanta, maybe, but I don't yeah, know if Atlanta. Yeah, in, in, you, if you want talking about putting it somewhere where it's going to take over the location. Yeah. Um, you know, you don't want a city that's too big. In, in Atlanta, I, I'm going to get flack for this. Uh, Atlanta just feels kind of generic to me. Oh, it's a very vanilla venue for for yeah. national fans interested in traveling in for the Super Bowl. It has no appeal at all for, for yeah. someone for outside state. Yeah, I mean Vegas. Vegas is Vegas. Uh, New Orleans just is iconic. Very dirty city, though. By the way, I'm sure yep. Vegas is the same way. Uh, Miami is iconic as well as what it is. Um, I mean, beyond those, I'm really, I feel like beyond those three, I'm like, eh. that's the list. That's it right there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because we're, you know, they're going to they're going to go to Dallas, which ugh. eventually it was kind of a flop when Jerry first brought it there. So, I mean, you yeah. know, he's begging to have it back there again. So we'll see. Yeah. So we'll see. Indeed. Hey, uh, over on our YouTube channel, if you haven't been checking that out, we're posting videos uh, every week right now. We're going through all the content we got when we were at the PGA show at the end of January, just a couple weeks ago. Up there right now is uh, you and Elizabeth Diane Veith roaming the uh, the show floor and checking out a lot of different women's fashion, including the award-winning fashion brand at the PGA show. That's right. And we'll let you watch the video to find out which woman's golf brand took home the hardware. But it was really cool to network with some brands that I've been talking with before the show. Uh, got some good 19th hole content and answers from our ladies out there repping the brand on the show floor. And it was really cool to network with these up and coming brands. I mean, you saw how vast the merchandise array was at the PGA show. I'd say women's golf probably covered half, if not more of it. So the presence was real and, and it was awesome to showcase some, some really cool brands and, and shout out the lady entrepreneurs as well too the pga tour now heads to riviera and mm. the genesis yep. invitational so that means for the 100th time in a row at the genesis tiger woods is making his triumphant return <laughs> he's done this every year since we were uh not even twinklings in our great great grandparents eyes seriously 
Um, and uh, yeah, he's going to miss the cut. And that's all you need to know. Wow. <laughs> You're just already escorting him to the airport on Friday night, huh? Interesting. Yeah. He's, yeah he's well, done. he's 101, he's 100 to one <laughs> odds to win, if you're wondering. So <laughs> Vegas isn't super confident that he's going to show up either. But but we're going to show up and watch for sure. I mean, I feel like, yeah, it's the Genesis and like the Hero or the unofficial like Tiger's back tournaments. So this one's actually yeah. for real, for real, though. This is a legit field. This is the real deal. Riviera is a dog of a track. And Tiger Woods doesn't have any really good history at Riviera, which makes yeah. this so fascinating because he's so tied in uh, because of his connection to the event, yet he doesn't have a lot of success in the course. So it's an interesting juxtaposition. Obviously, we're going to be fascinated to see what his form looks like. He's hit some interesting golf shots on social media during the hero kind of father-son season that had us licking our chops. Let's see if he converts it into an actual PGA Tour venue this week, though. What I'm going to say is that I really hope Tiger doesn't drive at all this week. I know, just, is that too soon? Can I say that? Right? <laughs> no, no. And, and you're right. And, and me and my wife gri- gri- gripe about this all the time. If you have a net worth of more than $100 and you're still you driving, driving yourself around, <laughs> in you, a, in a, in you a, need to reevaluate. In a Genesis. I'm so I know they're the title sponsor, but I'm sorry. In a Genesis. You got a whole team of people that can drive the Genesis for you, Tiger. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so just yeah, do yeah. us that favor, please. We want you safely there all week, departing, leaving, showing up, and everything. We're wishing the best for you and the mm-hmm. safest of luck for you as well, too. And and go get them out there. Would love would love to just get a couple of little, maybe mini fist pump moments, even if it's Thursday or Friday, just to yeah. get the tiger juices flowing again. It'd be nice. My question, though, I'll ask you before I move on from this is which of these two players has a better chance of winning at Riviera this week? Is it I still don't know how to putt anymore, but I can still contend in every single tournament. Scotty Scheffler. Yep. Or or is it I just took a nice break because I missed the cut. Max Homa. Jeez. You know what? I'm going to go with Homa just because of the Southern California ties, only because I know he knows this course very well. Because the the Scotty Scheffler thing is annoying. You're asking me who's going to (laughs) win. I'm picking Max Homa because Scotty Scheffler is going to lock in a top five or top ten. Folks, if you you want a few quick dollars right now, just put a bet on Scotty Scheffler to finish in the top ten this week. Yeah, that's just That's just quick, easy money for anyone who needs a dollar right now. Don't bet on him to win, though, because that putter is still dry. So that's my my advice, Luis. Is he ever going to figure out how to putt again? I mean, Augusta. Yeah, Augusta. Yeah. <laughs> you will at Augusta? Just in okay. time, yeah. <laughs> horses for courses. That's how it works. That's right. <laughs> All right, let's uh, get to the turn. And and we have two guests on this week's episode. Indeed. Um, and this first one is a top 10 nationally ranked golf instructor who even brought some of his toys with us and showed us them uh, at the PGA show. Uh, you and I are always intrigued by the inventors. I, I love seeing the products and the product guys. Not only is Martin Chuck one of the best teachers of the swing and golf out there, but he's also got the inventor brain constantly going. So he's a yeah. fascinating conversation to listen to. He's also worked with some of the greats in the game as well. So it's always great to catch up with a friend of the show and Martin Chuck. That's right. We'll get to this conversation with Martin Chuck in just a second. But first, let's talk about the Live Take app. This is where sports debates are solved once and for all. You log onto the app and you get to see people's hot takes on different things going on in the world of sports. But they give you an A or B option, which means you get to vote and tell them whether you think they're right or wrong. Yes, sir. 
And it's that instantaneous feedback that you, this random person on the internet, can provide to someone that makes live take, I think, so much more unique and in and and engaging as someone is that I can just go ahead and tell you you're wrong. Yeah, because it's these same stupid little uh, echo chambers that we get in with our friends where we have the same arguments and conversations over and over again, but we never settle anything. Yeah. So you put it up to the live take audience and let the public and, and let their voices be heard as your takes are heard as well. That's right. Indeed. You can uh, drop your own hot takes or live takes where you can talk to someone uh, for a couple minutes and let people listen to your argument and then decide what's going on. You can find us on there, COL Podcast Alex and COL Podcast podcast, Michael, and uh, let people other than just your friends decide who actually is smart or not. So check us out. We're on there almost every week sharing our live takes. Check it out in your app store live take. Let your take be heard. All right, back on the course of life. He's the creator of the Tour Striker Academy, top 10 ranked swing coach in America. Plus, he is a master golf swing aid inventor as well. It's Martin Chuck joining us here on Good the course of life. Good to be with life. you guys. Thank you. Thanks Martin, for having me on. Great having you back at the PGA show. Um, so, thoughts on this week's PGA show? And this year has been severely ramped up from the last couple of years. I know. Totally. It's uh, back to days of. I couldn't tell you the dates, but the buzz is as <laughs> most solid as it's been. I can remember in a long time. Yeah, we, we love reminiscing with you. You're not only great for the products that you bring to the table every time you have on the show, but you've got a really cool background in the game. You love talking golf swing and striking the ball. You and I share love for a very mythical figure in the game of golf. We talked about the last yeah. time we had him on. Uh, we had you on in Mo Norman. I just want you to kind of recap Mo Norman and his significance to you growing up learning the game. Yeah. So as a young man, you know, I grew up in Ontario, Southern Ontario, Toronto area. You know, this this fella appeared one day at this junior academy that I was my dad sent me to. It was a sleepover camp, and it was in near Lake Simcoe. It was called Guilford Golf and Ski Haven. It was this little golf course? Golf and ski. And yeah, you remember that place? Yeah. Yeah. Love that. And so it was a like a show up on a Monday, a drop you off, parents pick you up on a Friday. So much fun, golf and silliness with a bunch of other kids. Nice, uh, very nice coach there. Well, they gave Mo basically free reign of the place. I didn't know that. I was just a little kid. And so all of a sudden, we're on one end of the range, and this dude is by himself on the other end, hitting balls from the time we got there through our lunch break. After we're done playing, he's still hitting balls. <laughs> Relentless. Like just, yeah, and I, and I did this camp for two weeks, and so this might have been between tournaments, obviously, because he was there hitting balls constantly. And the thing is, like, I remember seeing him, and then the, the most impactful thing, the first thing was he got shooed out of the kitchen from this, like, angry cook lady. Like a small little grill area at the golf ski haven where he got like shoot out where the the double doors swung open and he was scurrying off of this lady. Straight out of a movie. Yeah, like this lady's kind of literally like with a spoon in hand, like get the hell out of my kitchen kind of thing. So that was when I'm like, okay, what's this guy look like? Disheveled looking, hairs kind of cockeyed, pants didn't fit right. It's hot out. He's got a turtleneck on. And then I asked the instructor who was a lovely older guy, a guy named Arnold Weiss. And Arnold was, uh, he goes, oh, that's Mo Norman, best ball striker that ever lived. And I'm thinking to myself, there's yeah, no way. Sure. No okay. way. Yeah. You know, I'm like Jack Nicholas, whatever. <laughs> so the Friday comes along and the, the, the instructor guy goes, I have a special treat for you guys. Parents are showing up to pick us up. Mo Norman's going to hit balls for us. And I'm thinking to myself, whoop-dee-doo. Like, I have no idea what this is all about. So I'm probably nine. And this 
and Mo Norman, we, we don't drive out to the range because it's a cart ride out to the range, whereas the first tee is right there. So he says, he goes, why don't one of you kids shag the 15, 20 balls he hits and then we'll send another kid out. I go out there and I'm waiting and I can kind of hear the odd little bit of a word, 120, 115 yards away. And then I look and Mo kind of quickly cocks his head, looks, and this ball lands right in front of me. And I'm thinking I'm gonna be like a second baseman, yep. you know, running around getting balls. I'm taking a step, one to my one to my left, one to my right. I oh, geez, this is like pickleball I here. You don't have to move too much. I could have sat in a chair. <laughs> I could have sat in a chair and put these balls in a basket. So, you wow. know, I, I go back after like 10 shots. Okay. And I pull seven iron, and then he starts whistling seven irons out there. And it was like nothing I'd ever heard or seen before. Mm, you know, because yes. the contact was so pure that I, that I thought, okay, that, this is special. And then he's going on as, you know, he's got his antics and his... It was fantastic. And, and, and so anytime I had an opportunity to see him after that, my dad was in awe. He had heard of him. I had heard of him. And then we'd make sure that we, if he was, he used to hit balls at a place at uh, Highway 400 or 407 and uh, Highway 7. There was a little range there. Um, can't remember it. It's not there anymore. And so we'd pop by and he'd kind of be there. And, you know, we'd just watch him hit balls. So cool. And so then I got to know him. He'd, he'd start to... If I was playing in a tournament and, you know, he was at that golf course, he'd come watch me play a few holes. And oh, wow. We became friends, yeah. Very neat. That's a really cool connection. And, and like you mentioned, probably greatest striker of the golf ball all time. You've got the Tour Striker Academy. I know people have all their different fixes in golf, whether it's the sun coming up over the mountains in the morning or the dew of the grass or yeah. something like that. But let's talk about the actual strike of the golf ball because I know right. you appreciate that more than most. What is it specifically about the strike of the golf ball that it gets you and has you? Well, you know, honestly, it's the drug of golf. It is. Like a good score, like playing a great round of golf and putting all the, it all together, that's fantastic and everybody loves yep. a great score. But, you know, to, a great score is usually, a, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a Shakespeare tragedy almost. It's like it has this love affair, somebody dies during the round, then there's a surge back and toward the end, maybe it all comes together and you have this great story, but it's hard. Right. Right. But if you can flush the middle of the face, you know, that that's really the drug of it. Like if hitting a solid shot, that sense of ball first contact, that nice little divot or flushing a drive out the middle of the face where it doesn't even feel like you hit it really because it was so perfectly centered. So that's that's really what I like to try to. I mean, obviously, I teach people how to score. I'm a big strategist and a big person about routine. But ultimately, if they can get the face on the ball nicely, you know, that's the drug of golf and that's the hook. And you got to be pretty in tune at this point with the sound oh, yeah. of strikes. And yeah. so can you, are you uh, like, uh, is it second nature? Like you could hear a strike and just immediately know what part of the club is hitting? Yeah. 100%. Like all, in our golf camp, we do a golf camp every week in Phoenix from 1st of November through until the 1st of May. Yeah. And then we take our uh, act on the road in the summer a little bit. And so, I, you know, I'll kind of, I have my coaching team and I, and we're working with the students. And I may have my back to a student that I've just talked to and I'll just hear one. And I'll turn around and go, that was it. And you can even like, you can close your eyes and hear a crisp contact. And the funny thing is, if you're really good at it, you can hear, you can close your eyes, hear a crisp contact and know if it's gonna curve too much either. Like a really good one doesn't, it isn't like a glancing hooky thing or a, a slicey thing. That's a different sound. Mm, one okay. that's really crushed and doesn't have much side spin. There's a, there's a, you know, there's a sound to that. And I may curve a little bit, because I mean, obviously, but it's not like the wiping fade or the big old hook, because those are different sounds too. 
So a really crisp, well-struck, good face-to-path relationship is a it's a it's a sound angels make. Very cool. Let's talk about these kind of golf group trip concepts and these kind of fixed tips where yeah. you take people through this journey and where that's set up in Phoenix. Um, we had previously networked with a former colleague of yours and Aaron Olson yeah, who would work with you tremendously. One on, of my coaches for years on the on the trips. But describe uh, what golfers will, will get into when they when they take a trip so to visit you. When they come to the golf camp, we test them originally. Like we, camps are made of fifteen golfers. We have six coaches, so the the breaking up pods of three. If a family comes together and want to stay together, we'll keep them together. But typically what we do is we watch them hit some golf balls. We test them on a launch monitor. We obviously have 2D video. We have 3D video, motion capture. And then we basically say, okay, this group is a steep, slicey group. They need to work on shallowing pieces, getting the face stronger. You three dudes or you, that lady and these two guys, this is a great little pod. They have nice personality types, so we'll match up together. And then we just try to make a nice little group because you don't want a coach staring at you the whole time. You want to be given a task, a doable task, yeah, right? A little bite-sized thing. And then be left alone for six, eight, ten minutes to kind of go, well, hey, how'd that feel? Well, I could do it. Good. Let's have a look. And that way, one coach to three people, and then I kind of preside over the whole thing, walk around, and and then I might bring everybody in when somebody has a great question. And then we all, you know, we always always have like a the syllabus of the camp. We're going to talk about full swing. We're going to talk about crisp iron shots, hitting drivers, short game stuff, bunker play, putting. And then we play with you in the afternoon. So we actually take you on the golf course and see if you can put in the routines, the priming swings that help you make that technical change. See if you can apply it. And may regroup the next day if we're not seeing the progress we're looking for. And ultimately, when you leave, you have a you have a way to stay in touch with us through an app we use, so that you can, you know, just ping us whenever. Post a video. We look at it and say, "Hey, way to go! You're doing great." Or consider this. Consider yeah, this. And take that feedback with yeah. you. I love that because you're blending the learning and playing and enjoying it in a great golf destination as well, too. Right. So it's an awesome package for anyone who's interested in um, getting that fix from Martin. And one thing that you really incorporated recently, kind of the whole. Talk to me about the holistic. Um, idea of teaching these students. Um, we had a former pro in Mark Williamson, yeah. who you know, now the golf yogi, and talk golf about yogi. bringing so, someone like him into your group as well and how that all kind of plays into the camp. You know, for some reason, the, the wives are always correct. I don't know why. But about <laughs> 12 years ago, my wife is like, hey, meet Mark. Anyway, this guy turns out to be a lovely guy. And then she's like, you got to consider having him come down and do a bit of a stretching yoga session at the camp. And I'm like, nah, none of the guys want to do that. Anyway, he shows up. They all love it. He's been with me now for 11, 12 years. That's he awesome. does the, the, the morning of day two, the first 45 minutes, he takes the group through us, like a, not yoga, but a, a nice golf stretch, gets everybody primed for the second day. Because the first day, people come from Chicago, New York, Seattle, Canada, wherever they come from. They probably hit too many balls all geared up and geeked out to yeah, for sure. Ball. Yeah. If I tell them to simmer, they don't. They don't listen. They hit too many balls. In the day two, it's too tempting for it all is of us. Beautiful, yeah. and the nice golf balls, beautiful turf, and they've been in the snow. Anyway, Mark gets him on the yoga mat, rolling around, stretching out, and all these dudes that I thought would hate it are like, "Man, that was fantastic! I need to do more of that." <laughs> I haven't stretched like that in a decade. Yeah, no, yeah. it's great. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. So cool, Martin Chuck. In addition to running the camps as well, teaching everyone out there how to get better at the game, he invents great products, which we'll get to shortly. But he's also had the opportunity to teach some world class players yeah. as well too. Tell me a little bit about your timeline specifically, uh, teaching a couple of major champions in Mike Weir and Darren Clark. When did you have the opportunity? So, you know, Mike Weir has been a friend since we were little kids in junior golf. Canada Connection. You know, so it's not like I stand over Mike on a driving range. We've had we've had some times over the years we've known each other. He's like, my nickname's Mervy. His is Squally. He'll say, Mervy, would you mind, you know, take a look at this? And I'll just, you know, give him a little insight on as to what he's up to because he knows his own golf swing. He's just looking for some feedback from a guy who's known him for a long time, who has seen his swing change from the time he was 14 years old to its iteration now. 
through a variety of coaches that I've actually helped set them up with because I'm not going to travel. Right. And so once in a while, yeah. I'll go look at a swing and I'll say, hey, way to go. This is what I consider. And he's like, OK, great. Yeah, that's where my brain's going, too. So when you get a really good player like Mike, he knows where he wants to go. He's just looking for the feedback. Hey, do I really just stay on this road or do I maybe go do something else? Interesting. Right? Yeah. So in his case, he's had some injuries he's had to work around. You know, he grew up playing hockey, super strong lower body. Yeah. Upper body needed to kind of match the super strong lower body. Then he heard his, he his arm. That required a surgery. So he's fought back. He, to me, he's swinging better than ever. You know, he's still feisty as hell. He wants to play good. And Darren Clark, I met Darren Clark online. You know, he reached out to me, oh, wow. you know, through a, through Twitter. Powerful back in the for me. Day. And so he's like, hey, would you, you know, take a look? And I'm like, yeah, I think you're, you're obviously Darren Clark. You're amazing. Here's what I think. You know, so when you get into a bit of a funk, it's because this tends to happen. Right. And so, again, just like Mike Weir, it's it's not like I'm going to stand on the range of these guys wholesale. That's, they're already great golfers. All they're looking for is a feedback mechanism to give them confidence, maybe keep them in the lane, don't fall into the gutter, you know, focus ahead with a positive attitude. So, I, and, and that's all I really want to do. Like, I have no intent on being a tour coach full time. Zero. I like staying in my house and sleeping in my own bed for the most part. In the summer, I have to travel because Phoenix is too hot. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I have a great time teaching the common golfer, like the performance golf guys, the platform I'm on that a lot of people watch my content all. They call me the people's coach. Well, Michael Breed used to be called the people's coach, too. They call me that, Michael. Sorry, I didn't call myself that. But I just like teaching whoever. Whether they're a new golfer, tour player, or, or somebody picking up the game for the first time, I get a fun buzz out of helping anybody get a little better. Very cool. And so, Mike Weir's swing, I'm curious. Yeah. Hockey background, Canada. Yeah. Now, is it wrong? Am I discrediting his swing by calling it a slap shot motion, or is it more than that? I'm curious. I think, you know, so you got a you know, big butt, strong legs, hips were a bit fast, upper body leg back, too much side bend, you know, c- could kick a path out and hit hooks. So like him learning how to stay a little bit more on top of the ball rather than the pelvis getting too far forward, creating too much side bend, getting the path to inside out, which is going to roll the face too much sometimes. So he's worked hard on that, you know, staying on top. And, he, and his coach now, like his primary coach is Mark Blackburn. And Mark was ranked the number one coach in the country for good reason. He's mm-hmm. a fantastic coach. Mike. So Mike's in the best hands possible. Yeah, master champion. Yeah. Amazing, amazing legacy he's built. And then Darren Clark, you mentioned, an awesome, still an awesome personality this day. You see him all over on social the media. Best. The golf. best. Lovely, lovely guy and uh, loves you know, golf, loves life. When I see his swing, I kind of think, I don't have much descriptors, but I think of covering the ball. Describe right. kind of how Darren Clark covers the ball. Well, and so what's funny it. is like when he gets going bad, he doesn't cover it because yeah. it's like if your left hip moves too far forward, which is a good thing for slicers, but if his does, like he doesn't want to hit a draw. Like he wants to stand the ball, hit a straight shot, let it bleed a little bit. Yeah. But, you know, so he's always hit down on it being from Northern Ireland and to try to flight it out of the wind. Well, it's really easy to have too much rightward path again. So his sense of covering the ball is not letting his pelvis go too far left because the more forward you get, the more dynamically you move the ball back to the right. When the ball moves back to the right, the path gets more out to the right. So for those of you listening, it's like maybe you can see those tangents in your head or not. And sorry to kind of talk on that, that, uh, I guess that's a little bit more technical than a lot of people are familiar with. But Darren has to feel like, you know, he can unwind unwind more within his lead foot rather than on the outside of his lead foot. That'll keep his path a bit more neutral, start his golf ball 
for his eye a bit more in a pleasing manner. Well said. I appreciate the context again. It's Martin Chuck joining us here at the PGA Show, Tour Striker Academy, and the inventions that he keeps churning out. Every time I see him, he's got something new uh, in his back pocket. Don't um, let me in the half an hour in the garage, and I'm coming up with something. <laughs> that's new. it. That's all it takes. Um, so let's highlight a couple that we've touched on before, and then yeah. we'll tease what's new here. But um, let's start with the smart ball. It's something that I've seen Rory McIlroy use, yeah. which obviously has moved a lot on social media. Um, tell me, what is that smart ball helping him do in his golf swing? So if you can manage your arms, you better manage your wrists. So if your elbows aren't separating, the angles of your wrists are less likely to change much. So a lot of golfers use it for different reasons, like newbies. If your arms are, if you, if you manage the distance between your forearms, your body has to respond differently. So newer golfers will feel like, all right, I've got this dimension in my arms that is consistent. Therefore, my body has to respond through impact a different way. Tour players, you know, same thing. To have a true coil, it, you have a lot of range of motion in your shoulders. So if your range of motion in your shoulders doesn't have something to govern it, then you can have kind of a false turn because you're not really turning your chest. Getting Probably that quote, sounds familiar. You know, getting that quote X factor. Yeah. <clears throat> so guys like to use it because it kind of reminds them what it's like to really have that that stretch across the X factor of their hips and their shoulders while kind of or keeping their arms organized. So that's a big deal for good players. Yeah. <clears throat> and then, you know, for the higher handicappers, it's like post-impact. Eliminate the chicken wing. If you can manage your arms through impact, you know, you're, again, your body's working well, the chicken wing's gone all those pieces that kind of help your wrist conditions do better. Mm, very well said. Okay, very cool. And the other one that we previously touched on is the plane mate helping yeah. prevent that dreaded chicken wing. We're going to get yeah. to some chicken wing, but tell yeah. me about what the plane mate does. So as well the plane too. mate was a collab with a, a former assistant of mine, David Woods. David Woods is a over at the at, uh, vintage. He's at the vintage club, right? Club. Yeah, that's a beautiful so place. So he's Oof. got his own business now um, called Pro Sender. He's got a, a wrist trainer. He's partnered with Sean Foley. Uh, he's going to relaunch plane mate under his brand. We had a nice run with it for a few years. He wants to take it in a different direction. We okay, were partners cool. and I said, hey, knock yourself out. Love that, awesome, yeah. very neat. And we've got new stuff here as well too. So we're gonna have a full length video that's gonna go on our socials after the fact, but I want you to just tease the couple of new toys you got right here and tell me a little bit yeah, about what so, each one does. You know, the Educator was a product I can't, I, I ruined a cutting board in my kitchen about 15 years ago. It's about a $10 <laughs> cutting board. My wife heckled me about how amazing this cutting board was that I ruined. Did you get her a new one or what? Well, yeah. you know what? It, I could have bought her about a, a few thousand new ones. It wouldn't have made up for it. It wouldn't have made up for this <laughs> little cheese board that I destroyed building my first educator. Anyway, the new educator is a much more fortified, versatile device. And, and ultimately, if, you know, we call it the educator because if your hands know what they're doing, if they can leverage the weight of the club properly, you can then therefore apply that leverage to the ball. I'm telling you, listener, you don't believe me, but your grip sucks. You know why oh, I say yeah, that? Because it's a high percentage of you, the people that come to my golf school and you're listening, oh, my grip doesn't suck. It probably does. And trust I thought me. mine did a few years ago. And then I just, just again realized recently it does still You know stink. what? If yeah. Jack Nicholas had a lesson every spring to redo his grip from his coach back when he was a party one US Opens, yeah. every golfer should literally go to their club pro and say, hey, do me a favor. Would you be honest with me? Like honest. Just I know you're my club year, pro and you're supposed to be check. nice to me. Yeah. I know it's your job to be nice to me, but really look at my grip and honestly give me an evaluation of my grip. Not your swing, how the attachment is from hands to club. Because if you can't get your hands on well, you really can't understand and, and apply the weight of the club head properly. 
So I'm telling you, like, if you educate your hands the right way, and that's the whole premise of, okay. it's like a half a coat hanger that has the ability to, you know, move in a variety of positions, whether you're hitting putts, chips, pitches, full swings, whatever. Uh. There's a battery of exercises, we call them protocols, that you can run through. But if you're a slicer, we have a something for that. If you hit too many hooks, we have something for that. If it's a short game, shore up job, we can help you with that. So it's just a way to know how to move your hands and the weight of the club properly through use and educating the hands that we call it the educator. The uh, I didn't bring it with me to the studio, unfortunately, but we have something called the impact sling. Oh yeah, this I saw this briefly because this kind of reminds me of that classic uh, the rope swing you know type so, of trail. Again, you know, it, the listeners all think they can swing a rope. I guarantee if I put a rope in your hands, you're gonna knock your head wear off, your glasses are gonna be on the floor. It's clumsy, yep. It's unbelievable. <laughs> so you've gotta learn how to swing the rhythm of a rope on a certain incline angle around your body because that's the same thing a golf club does. So we, you know, I just created a better rope. It's a, it's a very nice grip, metal, metal rod with a beautiful grip, a couple of attachments. It's like gym in a box. You've got a couple of fitness bands, then you have this rope swing attachment that's got some flexibility to it that if you're a traveler and you want to stay limber in a hotel room and don't bring your clubs, it's a great Father's Day gift because it's something any golf nerd is going to swing and love swinging and help them develop better rhythm, tempo, and power. Very cool. So that's just a sampling of what you're going to see. Again, check out our yeah. socials uh, for the video where we actually showcase what Martin's inventing on a daily basis. Love learning more about your products. And like you mentioned, you are trying to help prevent that Charlie chicken wing, mm. the dreaded chicken wing. Uh, so with Martin, we're going to get in some quick chicken wing questions right Bring now. It, are you ready for that? Spicy okay. ones? Go. Yeah. Um, so uh, if you had to take a guess, do you know when National Chicken Wing Day is? National Chicken Wing Day is going to be in the summertime. It's going to be, no, um, wait a minute. I'm going to go uh, blah, 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 July 20th. That was very close. I got July 28th on notice. So you're within Seriously? a week. I'm amazed. That's an amazing guess I'm giving guess myself right an A plus next. And favorite wing sauce. Favorite uh, wing sauce. I'm a spicy, bring it on ghost pepper meat. Kill me. Okay. And drums or flats? I am. Uh, I like I like more flats, but I do mix in a drum. Okay. And ranch or blue cheese? I'm a ranch guy. Okay. Good stuff. And yeah. then when you last came on, before I asked for a revision, you gave a 19th hole answer about the DC Steakhouse mm. as one of your favorite stops. Yes. What's your order at the DC Steakhouse these days? You, you know, I'm there. just going a little small, a little, a little um, small fillet, not a big one, and then just a, a baked potato, a little butter on it, glass of wine. Call me good. Maybe, maybe a couple spears of asparagus. Very simple. Classy. Oh, Love salad it. too. Got to have a salad. Oh yeah, salad thrown in. I yeah. appreciate the health there, Martin. Yeah. Thanks for hopping on again. Check out our socials for the video where we demo his awesome products. Follow Toy Striker and all of his accounts as well too. Appreciate Cheers, you joining. Course of Life podcast is brought to you by Zencaster. We've been using Zencaster here since almost the very beginning as how Alex and I record this podcast from hundreds of miles away. And it provides us with great quality audio that works every time. And it's something that makes Course of Life what it is and has kept us being able to make consistent episodes every week. And now it's super easy to record a podcast with Zencaster. You log in using your browser and start recording a high quality podcast right away. You record studio quality sound and up to 4K video with your guests. You feel a sense of Zen knowing Zencaster's multi layered backups ensure you always have your recordings in the highest quality, even if the connection is unstable. 
And have you ever wondered what you actually sound like? Zencaster's post-production process makes you sound buttery smooth. It automatically removes those ums and ahs in your recording. It removes those awkward pauses in conversation too. Set the right podcast loudness and levels while reducing background noise with the click of a button. Head on over to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use our promo code COURSEOFLIFE to get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. We want you to have the same easy experiences we do for all of your podcasting and content needs. Again, that's Zencaster.com slash pricing and our promo code course of life. Zencaster, it's time to share your story. And we're back. Great chat there with Martin Chuck. It was really cool to see a couple of his different toys. He brought, uh, for one, the tort educator, which kind of clipped onto the grip of the club and kept your hands handy. in the right yeah. place. That was very cool. It was. Uh, and uh, Martin's got great uh, pearls of wisdom from t- teaching Mike Weir and Darren Clark. Always love going through some of those throwback golf names that you and I love from our childhood. So awesome to connect with Martin. And a reminder, be sure to follow us on Instagram. We're going to put up yeah. the videos where Martin is demoing some of his newest inventions. So you can actually see how they work with me and Martin on the show floor. Again, Instagram at C-O-L podcast. I'm at Course of Life Alex and Mike is at M-W-R-I-N-C. So be sure to follow along there and you can see the inventions for yourself as well. Let's uh, get to our next guest here who's uh, a rising, one of, one of the best new young rising stars in the LPGA Tour and uh, has, a, has a Solheim Cup as well. Yep. She does, unfortunately, for my Team USA fans who are listening. They retained that cup last fall in Spain, and she was a big part of it, representing Sweden big time. Uh, Maya Stark, one of those players who I'm just solidifying is the real deal. This is a real deal LPGA star who you're going to want to get to know. And you started, Alex, by asking Maya about what it was like growing up in Sweden and yeah. learning the game of golf. Oh, I think probably the first memory is just uh of playing with my dad and my grandpa and my brother at our local course they have a little little junior course uh, i remember my my grandpa's putter he used to work for you know tetra pack the packaging company milk wow, cartons okay. and stuff and he he had a putter with their logo on it so that was pretty special um but yeah, I think that's, that's it. awesome. My, my dad had an old putter from like ni- the 1970s, which he handed down to me and I still have to this day. It's funny how we have those random clubs from our childhood that, that we always remember from when we first picked up the game. Um, <laughs> yeah. When did you know that you were going to be uh, maybe particularly good in your junior year? I know you had a lot of success growing up as a junior golfer in Sweden and then through your college career. But I'm curious when you were young, is there a moment when you realized that you, you might be a little bit better than the kids your age? You know, I never felt that because the kids my age were Lynn Grant, Frida Kinholt, Beatrice Wallen, and a handful others who were way better than me. So I never really felt that until maybe maybe college or when I came out on tour because I've always been... So the first year when I was traveling with the national team, neither me nor Lynn Grant were actually officially on the team because we weren't good enough yet. So wow. that uh yeah we weren't 
it kind of gave us an incentive to get better, I guess. But then, so I've never really felt like I was the best, not at all. Interesting. It gives you a lot of perspective how how deep the, uh, the talent was in that group of of young Swedish golfers that you grew up in. So I guess you had a lot of opportunity to to learn uh, from your peers around you and get better as you grew up, right? Oh yes. I mean, there was we started some crazy. Um, it was a crazy couple of seasons where the Swedish players won almost every time, but I was never one of them. One one of the people who won. So um, <laughs> I mean, that made it pretty obvious what I had to do because I saw the way they practiced and the way they played. And I just, I mean, I never won anything. I was up there, was posting pretty steady results, but, uh, I would just never got that trophy. Then, um, eventually I started winning a little bit more in college. And then finally, when I turned pro, I, something just clicked and that was nice. Cause then your whole life kind of depends on playing well. So Definitely. Yeah, for sure. And one event that you've played in well as an amateur and a professional, which I want to talk about, is the U.S. Women's Open specifically. That stuck out to me when I was looking at your record because a lot of people know the USGA setups to be some of the most difficult in the game of golf. What is it about the U.S. Women's Open specifically uh, that brings out the best in your game? I think it's probably mostly just about my... um my mindset going into it, you know, I know that it's going to be really hard and I know that it's going, I'm going to make bogeys and, but everyone else is also going to make bogeys. I think I just feel more relaxed going into a tournament like that. And I'm able to swing more freely because every single person is going to make mistakes and something just clicks in me when it comes to that. Um, I mean, I don't think I've been to the courses with the hardest, um, conditions really i mean the first one that i played the rough wasn't that high obviously it's always been fast greens but um i i don't know it's it hasn't been easy but it it has been surprisingly easy i think compared to what i expected going into all those tournaments except for pine needles was trickier than anything i've ever played so yeah, but overall, you've you've had a very successful run in U.S. Opens. I just wanted to make a note of it. I'm I'm curious. Uh, this upcoming summer, headed to Lancaster Country Club in Pennsylvania. Have you ever played that course? Do you have any familiarity with that course at all? Nope, never. Okay, never. And Aaron, really Aaron Hills is next year, where Brooks Kepka won several years ago. Um, ever played there as well? Those are the ne- those are the next two U.S. Opens on on your radar for you. Yeah, no, I haven't really been uh, in either of those areas. Okay. Well, cool. Well, you'll get adjusted pretty quickly. I'm sure. I'm looking forward to seeing you compete compete in future majors as well, too. And and you mentioned kind of breaking through as a professional. Uh, one breakthrough I want to talk with you, Maya, about is the the 2022 win at the ISPS Honda. To, what was working for you specifically uh, with your your game that week to get the win? I think I was just very consistent about what I was doing. Um, long irons worked really well. But then, obviously, uh, nothing really stood out until that last round. And on that last round, it just felt like I, well, I wasn't even making all the puts. I mean, I missed the 10-footer for Eagle on the first and then a 5-footer for Birdie on the second. So I didn't really feel like it was going to go that well. But then um, I just kept hitting greens and um, the putter was pretty dang hot that day. So 
um, I, and I really felt like my, my mind was just so clear. And I, re- I just remember being insecure about one shot and I ended up with a 10 meter putt for par or 10 meter putt, two putted it, made, made par, went on. And I told my caddy, I had Sophie Gustafson, uh, the former player on the bag. And I just told her like, I really chickened out on that shot. And then I never did that again, that whole (laughs) round. Um, so I guess that's what happened. Uh, definitely. That's a very good lesson for the players out there, especially since you missed those first couple putts. Usually people would think if they're trying to shoot a low score, that if you miss your putts in the first couple holes, that the round's over with, but you definitely persevered nicely. And you mentioned Sophie being on, on your back for people who don't know or are finding out now she's an LPGA legend in her own right. What well, what's that experience like, like having her on the bag and getting her perspective when you're out there on the course? It was really cool. I mean, I never had a proper caddy before that. And uh, she did do a couple of seasons, uh, I think, on the LAT. So she knows how to caddy as well. She's not just a former player. Um, but it was really nice because I really felt like I could trust her decisions because she was obviously a phenomenal player. And yeah. she thinks about how she would have wanted things delivered to her. Um, and then she she taught me on I think it was maybe the Tuesday or the Wednesday of ISPS. Um she taught me a new way to chip because the rough was pretty thick there. Um around the greens. So she said she basically said, No, 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 no. You do it like this. And then she showed me. Um And, and you just went just, with it? Oh yeah. I hit a couple and then she was like, No, 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 that's not good enough. Do another one. <laughs> like she would just make sure I got it right before we started playing. That's an amazing memory. Great lesson there from Sophie, Sophie Gustafsson, legend in the game. Um, so you mentioned re- representing Sweden as well, too. Um, I, I have to hear about the Solheim Cup experience representing Sweden and Europe and, and the Solheim Cup this past fall in Spain. Um, just before any of the golf started for you, Maya, the ceremony and the lead up to the golf, You know what was going through your mind as, as those proceedings were, were, were getting the Solheim Cup week kicked off for you? I mean, I went into the Solheim Cup week thinking that, you know, this is time to like show all the energy that I have, uh, like take every opportunity I can to talk to these people. But when I actually got there, I was just so starstruck. Like I didn't really, I wasn't really as talkative, as talkative as I used to be because I was just like listening and um, couldn't believe that I was, I mean, in, in that team room, they had, the, like the coolest people I've ever met. And they were all like gathered in one room. Um, so I was pretty nervous. Uh, I didn't think I was going to be that nervous, um, right. but I mean, everything was just so special leading up to, um, the first day of the actual competition. And I mean, obviously beautiful setting. We got treated so well and, um, yeah, it was just, I think, I mean, it's obviously my first Solheim Cup, but I thought it was pretty perfect. Yeah, amazing result for you guys retaining the cup. And I want to talk our audience through the moments. Uh, specifically, I have to ask about the nerves in the first tee. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you played in, I think, four matches in, in, in the actual proceedings. How many first tee shots did you have to hit in, the, in those matches that you played? And, and how nervous were you? So I played the four two foursome matches 
with Lynn Grant, and uh, she had the she got to tee off on uh, the uneven number, so I did. I only had to deal with that hole twice, so that was pretty nice. Um, and I was I was thinking to myself like the day before uh, we were trying to figure out who was going to go first and who was uh, going to have the even tee shots, and I just thought to myself like and we knew that we were playing in the first group and I just thought man it would be cool to have that first tee shot but I really don't want that first tee shot um because that's just way too scary um so I'm pretty glad that Lynn took that one uh because my results on that hole well in the best ball I I hit it on the green two putter for birdie but I hit it straight in the water in the singles and uh, I don't think (laughs) I, I mean i think that was all nerves. Um, so I don't think it would have helped if I had to do that any more times. Yeah. I'm glad Lynn took some of those nerves away from you too. I'm curious. So I, I've heard and asked legends of the game that have played in Ryder cups and Solheim cups. And they have said that that's the most nerve wracking first tee shot on top of majors or any other term they've been in. Is it the same for you? Was that the most nerve wracking first tee shot you've ever hit before? Oh yeah. I don't know what the deal is with them picking short par fours over water or whatever. <laughs> They've had a couple of short par fours lately as a starting hole. And that's, that's so nervy. I mean, they even changed the layout on the course. So, because num- our number four is actually the first hole, but they wanted that hole to be our first one to make it cool. And I guess it was cool, but it was, it was freaking cruel of them to do that <laughs> yeah. to us. I mean, and then Susan sent me and Lynn as rookies out in the first match. <laughs> that wasn't very nice. Well said. Yeah, it was cool. And it was also cruel too. Well, very well said. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, yeah. So in terms of the the cup itself, um, one other highlight I want to talk about is your Sunday singles match, which you mentioned. Uh, tell me about keeping your composure with everything going on around you. From what I remember, you know, there's still lots in doubt and matches were still on the course and you were towards the latter end of the draw. But, you know, uh, what was that like kind of keeping the composure and focus on your match specifically on Sunday? It's very hard when you're in the situation to not look at the boards out there. I was trying not to, but then they're kind of in your face. Um, so I started looking at the boards and I was thinking that it looked, it was looking pretty good. I feel like I'm an optimist when it comes to things like this. So I always think it's going to go my team's way. Um, but then um, it was looking pretty dark as I was walking up um, 14, 15. So I, I just kind of saw it and I thought, there's no way we're going to be able to win this. I mean, we're almost at the end of the day and we're down by a point right now. And then Caroline managed to turn that around. But when I saw that, uh, it was way too much red on the board. I just thought, well, at least I can win this match for myself and for the team. Um and also i i just wanted to play the best yeah to my the best of my abilities um and i felt like i just focused on myself after that didn't really look that close um yeah 
It was impressive to watch, and you hit some amazing shots under pressure to help uh, Team Europe retain the cup. Um, so tell me a little bit about the celebration. What, what, what was the celebration like after um, the cup retention, um, and what was the uh, what was the, the the music and the and the drinks and the dancing going on there? Honestly, it wasn't too much dancing. That course is so hilly. You guys are tired, too tired to, we to dance so, at the celebration. We were so tired. <laughs> I mean, we had uh we had the the lawn was by our team room so the americans came out and partied with us and we had a dj and everything but i think i think most people went to bed pretty early because uh it was it was so tiring i mean that yeah there was such a build-up to it and then to end it i mean it was so stressful just watching the leaderboards that like after I'd finished my, my match and I think everyone was just so exhausted. Um, <laughs> the, the coaches are very good or the captains were very good at partying though. I mean, Suzanne and Caroline are, they're just wild. And they, <laughs> that was so fun to see that there was no stopping them on the dance floor. That's great to see. Yeah, we also had uh, on the American side, Stacey Lewis and Angela Stanford on the show this past year, and they said it was awesome to have the teams come together at the end of it all. At the After what you mentioned was an exhausting week on, on a hilly course. So that was awesome to see. Hoping to see you uh, back this fall in September in Virginia for the rematch too. So it should be fun. Again, it's Maya Stark here joining us on the Course of Life. Uh, Maya Stark one on Instagram if you want to follow along. Let's get to some quick shot fun questions here for you, Maya. Uh, we'll start with with a fun one for you. Taking back to your college days, uh, your favorite uh, golf or golf course memories from your time at Oklahoma State. Oh my. Gosh, so many. Maybe. I've heard a lot about the facility yeah. there at Oklahoma State. It, it, is it as nice as, as I've heard from rumors or, or describe what that's like to our, our audience at home? Yes, it's the best I've ever been to. They have several wedge areas, um, sand pits, and I think the best thing is that it's almost no no other people than the golf and then the college players. So you can go out on the course with a shag bag if you want and just hit balls. Um, wow. Maya, That's I, like every I, golfer's dream there, Maya. I, I know. Um, <laughs> I really don't know what my favorite memory is. Probably from some qualifier at some point just going out there playing like and you end up with in a group with your best friends i think that's that's probably the best part we had such a fun team that's awesome yeah it sounds like uh having a facility like that to yourself definitely helps you grow your game but also creates a lot of fun memories with the teammates um you recently had an awesome ace at the scottish open uh, I wanted to ask, how, how many aces have you had in competition? Well, was that your first or is that something you've done before in competition? That was my first. I've had one in a qualifier and one in a practice round. Um, and they came within one and a half months. And my college coaches, I talked to them about it, that I was like 20 years old and I still haven't had a hole in one. Um, and I've been playing for 14 years. And they just said, well... After after today, every time you come up to a par three, you're just going to think, hole in one, hole in one, hole in one. And then maybe two, three weeks later, I made my first one. And then one and a half months after that, I made my second one. Um, so I guess you just got to think it, just manifest it. 
Yeah, positive thinking. I love that. Um, scrolling through through your feed, I can tell that you obviously enjoy skiing. How often do you get to ski these days, though? Have you have you done any skiing in the in the U.S. at all, or is it mainly back home and where where you are in Sweden? No, I've never skied in the U.S. I try to go every year. My brother used to work at a ski resort, so I was up there a couple of times. I'm actually going skiing in two days um, with the family. So nice. Uh, yeah, very appropriate question. Love it. Um, when you when you do get home, what's your what's your first like Swedish food that you have to get when you get home? When I get back to Texas, I always have to go get tacos immediately because it's like my favorite thing to eat here. What's what's your favorite Swedish food when you get home? Just the cheese, man. I I I actually googled why there isn't this one type of cheese that we've always had at home since forever. I Google why they don't have it in the U.S. and apparently there's some chemical in it that's not allowed. But um, I love it, and that's what I go for immediately. It's just a sandwich with that. What type of cheese is it? I don't. I don't know what it's called. We call it priest cheese. Um, Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I've yeah. Never heard of it. Must be the real deal then. If if you're craving it when you get home, I love that. Awesome. Oh, yeah. uh, Maya, we 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 wrap up with our nineteenth hole question here for all of our guests. So I'll ask it to you. Uh, when you finish a round on the golf course, a little bit of a different setting, and you get into like the clubhouse, what's your favorite thing to eat and drink at, at the nineteenth hole? Ooh, used to always be club sandwiches. Um, we have always stacked fridges fridges on the LPGA now with any type of drink you might want, but I, you should go for the Diet Coke. So I'll say that. Yep. Club sandwich and Diet Coke. You can't go wrong with that. <laughs> Great answer nope. indeed, Maya. And thank you so much for hopping on the podcast too. I'm looking forward to seeing more of your play later in uh, 2024 and, and looking forward to that Solheim Cup rematch as well too this fall. Yes. Thank you very much. And we're back. Great chat there with Maya. You know, she sounds like a real person, as do most of the European Solheim Cup winners there. And that they were just so exhausted. They just sat around. <laughs> I know. It's like, you know, and, and we're going to con contrast that with the Super Bowl celebration, which we'll get to yeah. in a few minutes. But sometimes when you're in the thick of competition and it's just absolutely exhausting, you're just pooped and you don't even want to dance to celebrate. So I respect the honesty from Maya and uh, she's a great personality that you're, you're going to see her name a lot more on leaderboards and the LPGA and, and definitely some more wins coming in the pipeline for Maya. If you enjoyed that interview with her or any of our uh, other content you've heard so far, be sure to like and subscribe to the content you're listening to right now and we appreciate the support. All right, let's uh, talk about the Super Bowl, Alex. It actually happened. There was a football game in Las Vegas. Uh, and uh, hey, let's let's talk about it here. The Chiefs are now halfway to the Patriots and Tom Brady's six Super Bowls. Yep. And I'm only counting six as a selfish Patriots fan. You know, yeah, TB12 yeah. no, has seven, no, but it's me. It's basically me and the Patriots franchise versus Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs at this point. And the score, right. yes, is six to three. Yeah. So uh, I have a couple questions about this dynasty and it taking shape here. It is. Okay. It's a dynasty. I'll say it's, it. it's a dynasty. Uh, first of all, let's talk about um, uh, something let that Jim Nance said on the broadcast that made me feel so old. It has been a generation since another team has won the Super Bowl back to back 
and that was the Patriots. It has been 19 years since a team has won back to back. It How has. old do you feel, Alex? Right yeah, <laughs> I know. And I was in, we were in high school for those games for reference. That was my yeah. junior and senior year of high school when the Patriots yep. nabbed those back to back. Tom Brady, Troy Brown, Corey yeah. Dillon running the ball for the Patriots and throwback yeah. NFL names for you. That, that's the kind of Patriots team we're talking about. And yeah, this is, this is the newest back to back winner in the Chiefs and Mahomes doing those things that remind me of what I watched and saw for two decades yeah. with Brady to Gronk and Brady in clutch and Brady when it mattered most and the drive mm-hmm. when you had to have it. Mahomes is that guy for right now. He's personifying what Tom Brady did in the Patriots run to a T. So let's, uh, I, I want to ask Patrick Mahomes is clearly the, one of the best quarterbacks in the game right now. He has put together a Hall of Fame career if his career were to end today. Yep. Is he in the conversation with the likes of Joe Montana and Tom Brady? Is he in that upper escalon top three all-time quarterbacks? I think he is. I think he has just, with this win on Sunday, he has just officially entered that conversation. He's now arrived at that conversation just now at this moment with the third. There's a bunch of guys with two. Getting to three and getting to them as early as he did in his career puts him in that pantheon because you have to figure he's going to stumble in to at least one or two more here in the next several years, yeah. if not more. So he's going to further cement himself in that conversation. And then the stats are going to take over for what he does throwing the football uh, in an efficient and electric manner versus Brady. Uh, yeah, he's he's officially entered that conversation. And I think that kind of is the three-man Rushmore right now. You could, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know who that fourth person might be. Terry Bradshaw with four rings, but wasn't maybe yeah. as complete of a player. He's got the rings to prove it, but not really the stats. So, yeah, th- that's a good three. Montana, Brady, Mahomes, they're in that pantheon all on their own right now. So uh, here's my next question for you around Mahomes and Brady. You can only have one quarterback be your franchise quarterback. Oh, well, you know this answer. <laughs> You're going to say Brady, aren't you? <laughs> give, give me Tommy Tough Nuts any day of the week, okay? <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. Here's a, here's a different question. Andy Reid or Bill Belichick? But now that is a little more fascinating because yeah. you know how, how much I've tilted the scale on the Brady versus Bill argument. I, I've now tilted it to about 72 to 74% Brady and the rest Bill, whereas I yeah. was 50-50 maybe five years ago. Uh, so on that note, Andy Reid did get Donovan McNabb to a Super Bowl and, and yeah. lots of success in Philadelphia. Okay, so he yeah. kind of did it, kind of ish, sort of did it in one spot, and then went to Kansas City and then had plethoras of Super Bowls and tons of success with Mahomes. So you mm-hmm. could argue that as a head coach, Andy Reid is about to be compiling and, more more success than Bill Belichick is. He can and, get there. And, Andy Reid won NFL Coach of the Year with the Eagles. He didn't win a Super Bowl with the Eagles, but he won Coach of the Year with the Eagles. Bill Belichick has not won so, Coach of the Year anywhere else besides New England. Yeah. So I, I think that and, – and we've seen now Belichick really struggle in New England. Which So to, I'll, I'll, I'll take it a step further and say the Reid well, <laughs> passing Belichick could happen before Mahomes passes Brady in the legacy department. Mm, yeah. Yes. I would and agree so, with that. We agree. The, the the one question is how much longer will Andy Reid coach for? He said he's going to keep coming back. 
He's one of the oldest guy, oldest coaches in the league at 65. So how much longer will he coach for is the question here. Yeah, five to seven probably. You probably got to think five years to 70 maybe. Yeah, I'd yeah. say so. We'll see what happens. We'll see what he gets. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about the game itself. I texted you at one point during this game, and I said, this is a piece of shit. This <laughs> game is sloppy. I feel like I'm watching college teams play here that haven't played in a month. Uh, I, it, it just it, the, the first half of that game had so many errors for the 49ers. They should have won this game by 20 points. Instead, they lost in overtime. Mm. Um the, the game changed at the end, obviously, became a nail biter at the end. But it was this did the Chiefs win the game or did the 49ers lose the game in the first half? Yeah, it was just honestly, I think, yeah, the 49ers had the opportunity to really jump on Kansas City and they didn't. They let Mahomes hang around. I remember this time and time again. You know, don't let Brady and the Pats hang around. Don't let yeah. them be in this game because if you give them a shot late, they will bite you. And that's exactly what happened. And I figured it out, Mike. I got mad at you for 20 seconds last, last night when you sent me that text about the game. <laughs> being boring but i realized it mike you you just miss tom brady surgically um taking apart defenses in the super bowl and, and you missed the patriots dynasty so that's clearly why you know you're just you you weren't enamored with the schoolyard football patrick mahomes it's all making sense to me now you know what i miss is seeing a a, a, a team uh, upset the dynasty like the Giants did twice to the <laughs> Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you're right. A little bit of a snoozer. A little fumble-friendly. A little fumble-happy yeah. game to start. A lot of the penalties, too, there. during the game. A lot if of you flags. Waited, yeah, a lot of flags. If you waited for yeah. it, you got the payoff in the end. Fantastic overtime finish. Uh, yeah, Mahomes and Co. halfway to the to the Patriots' legacy. Six to three is the score. I'll keep reminding everyone of the scoreboard throughout the offseason as well. Too. Uh, let's talk about the prop bets as well. You 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 for whatever dumb reason you took the under on how many times Taylor Swift was yep. going to be shown. Yeah, and 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 you know I, that what was it five and a half was the line on it. You got to be <laughs> slamming that over so hard. And the reason why was because during that hype video they showed at the when the teams took the fields of the Chiefs and they showed Taylor Swift in that hype video, you knew she was going to be shown so many times. So there's 53 guys on the active roster. I'm pretty sure Taylor Swift is roster spot number 54 because she's basically yeah. part of that team now. It's very, very apparent. Mike, there were so many celebrities your head would spin at that game last night. They showed no celebrity reactions the entire game. <laughs> <laughs> except for Taylor Swift's box yep. with Blake Lively, Ice Spice, Lana Del Rey, and crew. We, you know them all by name now at this point. That's how often we saw her. Yes, I bet under five and a half. I was a fool there. The one smart thing I did is I bet under one and a half times she would get shown during the national anthem. They didn't show her at all during the anthem. So you win some, you lose some on the prop bet front. Uh, what do you think, though, that Roger Goodell and she were talking about? Do you think Roger was handing her a check for everything she's done for the NFL this season? Yeah, like I said <laughs> at the intro, uh, she completed the script perfectly. The, the yeah. script that we wrote before the season started was for a large-scale NFL superstar uh, to enter a relationship with the largest global pop megastar in music that there is. Um, they would have an outwardly public romance that would trigger her going to endless NFL stadiums far and wide, um, stretching all ends of the country to support her man and ending with a story like fairy tale Super Bowl win and kissing under the confetti. The only thing missing was the proposal of the baby announcement, but they pretty much nailed the script to a T this season. 
My one question is, though, why didn't Travis Kelsey go to the Grammys? Gr- gr- I, know, right? I mean, where was he? Come on, man. Is this a one sided relationship right now? <laughs> it must be. I mean, if he doesn't get to at least, you know, what? What's the over under on him going to shows? What? 10, 12 shows in the offseason he better begin to, know. right? To, to I, match every NFL game she made, too, I guess. I did love, by the way, I don't know if you saw this, there was a meme that was created pretty, pretty early during the game after Kelsey was yelling at Andy Reid on the sideline. Yep, after he assaulted his coach. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. with the text lit, he was actually yelling at Andy Reid saying, do you know how much pressure I'm under? I have a billion dollar biggest superstar girlfriend in the world, and I just spent my entire salary on bringing – making a clone of Marvin Gaye for Valentine's Day. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That was a stretchy meme there. I like that caption, though. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, we, we have some some behind-the-scenes footage I'll of say. Taylor at the Super Bowl postgame party. Yeah, I'm very I'm, different, very different from the Solheim Cup celebration we just heard about. I know, for Christ's sake. So I'm sitting on this. We're going to put this on social as well, too. But our source, my buddy David, a friend in the Chiefs organization he has, he got all sorts of access through this entire playoff run, and it culminated with the Super Bowl celebration. Here, my, here David is uh, behind the stage where the Chainsmokers and Post Malone are playing for the Chiefs celebration party. You got great candid video of Travis Kelsey and Post Malone discussing a future beer pong game. Taylor Swift belting out the words to her own song that the DJ was playing and more. So again, check out COL Podcast and Course of Life Alex on Instagram. I'm going to share a couple of those clips that we got uh, from some behind-the-scenes action for the Swifties who wanted to see what the celebration looked like. Uh, Video, you might you, you, there were some people with some care phones out there. This is unique video close to Taylor and Travis after the fact that not a lot of people have. So again, check out our Instagram for that posted throughout the week. We'll throw some stories up. Uh, but yeah, pretty rowdy celebration to say the least going through all hours of the night. And frankly, listen, I got to take my cap off one more time. Those chiefs deserved it. That was a very Patriots, Tom Brady dynasty like victory. Even when the Patriot, uh, when the chiefs, pardon me, didn't have their best season <laughs> or their best guys or their best moments, they brought it in the playoffs and got it done again. So hats off to them. Crazy crazy now our attention turns to valentine's day so let's hashtag always have with food that's right food segment to end every course of life podcast it's the 19th whole content to wrap everything up valentine's day is here if you're listening right now it's valentine's week hopefully you're out there celebrating or just talking and communicating with their loved ones this is your reminder to pick that phone up and call a loved one if you haven't this week uh valentine's day candy favorites mike yeah. any anything pop out to you the heart-shaped reese's the bra the was the brotches candy hearts do, are you out on the taste of those candy hearts with the lovely messages on them or do you like the taste of that chalk no i think they're a piece of shit yeah it's glorified chalk with a candy flavor i just like yeah. the messaging on them but that's really all that comes to my mind i, I got the heart-shaped uh, reese's for my I mean, wife so that usually takes care of it for valentine's day Chocolate covered strawberries. Oh, are, yes, good know, call. And 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 when I think of Valentine's Day, I think of high end chocolate. Mm, you know, yes. don't give me that Hershey's crap. Go to your local candy store, your local chocolatier who's making better stuff, and get something really class because this is the time. Spend I like the money. that. I like that. Support your local chocolatier. We're, we're supporting yes. local business here on the podcast. And you, you get you got a little local business of your own that the whip that's whipping up sweets all the time too. Yeah, you know it's nice to work for a bakery. We cut 
uh, 192 donuts today for the donut, the Valentine's Day donut orders. Nice. Um, Love that. So, and we made a ton of king cakes because it's also Mardi Gras this week. So it we're is. making king cakes. Saw it's those been in a, store. It was a crazy Monday for us. You know, a lot of stuff going on. We don't usually do that much. So. And I know you're doing your challenge that you embarked on, but just reiterate the challenge for those of us who, who hadn't listened as on kind of your, your current 2024 baking challenge as you see it. Yeah, so I need to bake something I've never baked before mm. every month. And at first, my original intent around this was it had to include a technique I'd never done before. Um, so that was the failed eclairs last month. Correct. I'd never yes. really done that technique before. Um, that's becoming more difficult. <laughs> After eclairs, there's like not a lot out there that I haven't done before in some capacity. That's fine. But Make I up did, the rules as you go. It's okay. Yeah. Uh, but I did find a recipe before and thought it would be really cool to make homemade Oreos. Oh, yes. You know, right. very um, le- legit crack, you know, the good biscuit on it, the, the filling that comes apart just the way you expect it to in an Oreo. Um, and uh, that's what I did. They were, they're pretty good. They were pretty good. Oh yeah, it was a doppelganger in the look. You nailed the look alike. The actual. Well, if I if, she- if I were to get one of those rolling pins, like can emboss on it, so that it can have the texture on the top of it, yeah. like a real Oreo, that would have been the next level. But I I wasn't gonna go spend. Did, any did you on get? That. Did you gain the appropriate crunch on the cookie itself? Yes. Very yeah. much so. The the biscuit itself uh, was um, not very sweet. It was really it was actually almost maybe a little bitter, um, but really complemented with the filling, um, which is just actually for all that we're gonna get nerdy for a second on baking. Yep. Are you ready? So it's actually I actually made clarified butter, and then uh, and that way you're taking you're you're like making a butter cream almost with butter and sugar um but with the clarified butter what that does is the butter you're getting rid of a lot of the excess water in your butter so you're really just having the fat there so as you're beating the butter and sugar together you're then getting it's going to harden as it sits and as it cools so it's not soft like a buttercream is it's actually really firm like you want in an oreo only this is made with natural ingredients instead of who the hell knows what an Oreo is actually made of. But that addicting um, cream filling is just that yeah. lovely texture. And now everyone's wondering about the break apart and the, and the filling itself. How, how would you mm-hmm. rate your, your Oreo break apart with the cream filling? You know, the couple that I twisted didn't twist maybe as nicely as a regular Oreo and didn't break off as cleanly where you're trying to twist it so that the biscuit comes off completely freely from it, but it still did twist off and it's, still looked like an oreo on the inside so i was very happy with it it was an impressive feat at mwrinc and always end with food on instagram to check out that and our food content as well that's a wrap on another great course of life podcast thank you all for tuning in be sure to subscribe if you haven't already and we'll see you next week